Hello, welcome to Fresh Pressed for May 5th, 2020. My name is Gabe. And my name is Andrew. This is a show about music where we talk about new tunes and... I always forget to prepare one a thing. You don't need to prepare it. This kind of thing should just come to you naturally, Andrew. You're a wizard with language, and yet you <laughs> cannot find an adjective to describe spies. Uh, sneaky grooves. Yeah, slinky. Uh, slinky is not good. Slinky, that's for our 80s toys episode. Is it slinky from the 80s? It's probably from like the 20s. It's just a fucking spring. It was created in the 40s. <laughs> you you looked it up that quickly? I had to type in six letters. Yeah, okay, six letters. Sure, okay. Um, anyway, we're not talking about slinkies. We're talking about sneakies. Well, we're talking about spies, Andrew, which is the proper term for sneakies. Um, yeah. Well, I you know, in the industry, we say sne- sneakies. Oh, it's interesting that you mentioned the 80s in relationship to Slinkies, because I guess the 80s feel like, like the last bastion of spydom, because like, spies were really a thing just for the Cold War. I, that's not true at all. I'm sure there's still plenty of spies, but nobody really cares about them anymore because they all, they just hack, right? Spies are just hackers. I disagree, Gabe. Fine. Um, maybe something we can agree about is one of the greater comic strips, I think, ever is Spy vs. Spy. Well, I might disagree with you later in this show. <laughs> okay. Um, I don't have a lot to say about spies. Um, they're sneaky. They're sneaky. And the music that is made about spies also tends to be sort of sneaky. So we thought we'd indulge in some sneaky music to go along with our sneaky theme. Now, like last week when we did video game music, but we didn't do music from video games, we are equally not picking songs from... Like, like we you couldn't pick, uh, you know my name by Chris Cornell as featured in the incredible film Casino Royale from two thousand six. Oh, so Andrew, I think what prompted this theme was you've watched an enormous <laughs> amount of James Bond recently. Is that correct? Here's what happened. I read I read like a tweet or something about some like detail in Casino Royale, and I was like, hmm, what a good movie. And I went on Netflix to try to find it. And they don't have it on Netflix. They had the four Brosnans. And I was like, I think I've only seen Die Another Day. So I guess I'll watch these four. Because I've never seen Goldeneye. So I watched them. And then I was like, maybe I'll just go start from the beginning. And then I started watching Doctor No. And it sucked. And so I quit and I watched Casino Royale and Quantum of Solace. And that was as much as I could watch with the services that I already pay for without having to pay for any additional rentals. Yeah, I actually, I, I've not seen any... James Bond movies other than the Craig ones, which really maybe I should remedy that. No, I mean maybe it's doing just worth for the cultural. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's what, that was my thinking going into like, hey, maybe I'm gonna watch every single Bond movie. I'm gonna start from the beginning and watch Doctor No. So I started watching it, and it was just bad. The thing about James Bond is that he sucks as a person, and it's right. un like. And I mean, like, he sucks as a person in the Pierce Brosnan ones. Like, I was watching that, and, and like, it was gross and, and so stupid and and frustrating to watch him just be, like, a fucking disgusting man. And I was upset about that. And then I started watching Dr. No, and that is 
absolutely insanely disgusting. Like, it's just awful. Why would you want, like, who enjoys that? I don't, it makes me so angry. I'm going to cut this out of the podcast because it's not useful for our (laughs) show about music. But, like, it's so gross and dumb and and awful. I think something that the more recent Bond films have done, and maybe you can corroborate or correct me, is they've leaned into being like, James Bond is not a good human being. Yeah. Don't be fooled by this. And also they wrote actual... Some actual characters. Yeah, actual characters for the women. Yeah. Yeah, well, Judy Dench as M is inspired. Oh, absolutely. That was the that was the main thing that got me through the Brosnan movies was Judy Dench's M. And then uh, the one other thing is in Tomorrow Never Dies uh, features um, Michelle Yeoh uh, as like the main... I mean, she's like the Bond girl or whatever, but she's not like... She is a, an actual character. She's like an actual spy and she's good at what she does and she's more interesting than James Bond in that entire movie. I mean, that's typically how it goes. Vesper is also more interesting in Casino Royale. Right, but that's the thing. Like, those are those are interesting characters, whereas, like, in the Sean Connery Bond movies, it's literally just like, we got this dumb broad here, and she's going to yell, and she's going to run around, and you're going to fuck her when you feel like it, yeah. whether she wants to. Or, like, it's, it's disgusting. It's yeah. horrifying. Oh, so maybe I will not go back and watch them. No, don't. Like, it's really, I mean, that's the thing. I was like, I'll watch it as like, a. you know, I'll, I know it's going to be bad. The action scenes are going to be stupid. Like, the plots, I know there's like, you know, they go to like the fucking moon or whatever. And there's dumb bullshit like that. But I'm going to get through it. And it was just unwatchable because of that stuff. Not because of any of the special effects or things like that. Or any of the bad acting. Like, that was, I could, I can watch through that. But like. It was just disgusting. Maybe a better question suited for this show is, do you have a favorite James Bond theme? Or can you, can you actually give me two or three that you like? Because I know you love the Chris Cornell one. Yeah, so the Chris Cornell one is great, and I remember it very well as, you know, because we were like, what, like 11 when that movie came out? And it that was, sounds right. It was great. Um, so the Chris Cornell one is a classic. And, like, at that time, I was also like, into Chris Cornell in a way that I'm not into Chris Cornell now. Where like my brother was into Chris Cornell, so I was like, yeah, this is cool. You know? <laughs> sure. I think I had a Soundgarden t shirt back in the day. You know, like Tina Turner sings the one for Goldeneye, I think. Yeah, I think you're right. Um, and that's fucking incredible. And some of them are terrible. Like a lot of the old ones are just sort of like saying the title over and over in different ways. <laughs> The Goldfinger one is just sort of like, Goldfinger, he's got a gold finger, his finger is gold. It's like, what the <laughs> fuck? Uh, I, I do have to say, I do love the Adele one from Skyfall. Yes, Skyfall, that's a great one. And then the by far best Bond theme of all time is the theme from Spectre. And no, I am not talking about Writing on the Wall by Sam Smith. I am talking about the rejected theme from Spectre that Radiohead wrote and then uh, Eon Productions rejected. It's so it's so fucking good. It's like, 
one of my favorite like Radiohead songs and that it's by far the best Bond song, but didn't get chosen. So I have not listened to Spectre by Radiohead. Are you serious? Did not know this was a thing. This is news to me. I will check it out. I'm gonna I'm gonna put a clip in here. It's so good. Okay. So in in lieu of those picks, Andrew, what did you select? I selected a song entitled Secret Agent X9 by Modest Mouse. Got a race car green and the calculations and Elgon for a secret agent to fog that Returning to bands that my brother liked and therefore I wanted to like because I wanted to be cool when I was a tween. Uh, Modest Mouse. Good band. We had a copy of uh, We Were Dead Before the Ship Even Sank, which is... That's not the one that float on is off of. No, that's good news for people who love bad news. They have a lot of long (laughs) album titles. Um, no, We Were Dead Before the Ship Even Sank came out in 2007, one year after Casino Royale. <laughs> right in your wheelhouse. That was uh, one of those, like, always in the car, always listening to it. Not a band that, like, my parents enjoyed listening to, but, like, we really wanted to listen to. And then eventually we left it in a rental car on vacation once, and so we never lo- we never had it again. We still have the case, but the case has nothing in it. Oh, brutal. Uh, I loved... Modest Mouse, uh, when I was probably like middle of high school, uh, I was so into the moon in Antarctica. Yeah. But anyway, this album, uh, Sad Sappy Sucker, this was actually their first album. It came out in 2001, which was after three other albums, at least. Yeah, this was after the moon in Antarctica, which had me confused because it sounds much older. Right. So this was actually their first album that they recorded in like 1994 or two or something. One of those lower numbers in the 90s. <laughs> but they, they uh, for whatever reason, I can't, I couldn't find like specific reasons. It just says like constant delays, whatever, blah, 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 blah. They, it just like got shelved and they didn't do anything with it. And then in 2001, they were like, no, let's put it out in the, in the world. So you can really hear that on this song and in the, the rest of the songs in the album. They're all, like, really short. They're, like, not very fully, like, conceived even, really. It's very much, like, a debut album that didn't get totally worked out. Yeah, I mean, even this song that you chose feels incomplete, although it works very well as, like, a 90-second, 75-second track. They released... Their later albums have, like, seven-minute songs, right? Yeah. It's kind of something they were known for, is releasing longer tracks and this is so short i don't know like this this album as a whole sort of feels like practice to me hey, 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 
Gabe, you know Secret Agent X9, the most famous secret agent in the world. Sure. No. Should I? Uh, no, you shouldn't. Oh, okay. It was a joke. Uh, but Secret Agent X9 is a secret agent. I mean, a, a fictional secret agent, as many are. That was a comic strip that started in the 30s and was one of those sort of 30s comics. Like, it was created by the writer Dashiell Hammett, who wrote uh, The Maltese Falcon. Huh. And the original artist was Alex Raymond, who was the artist for Flash Gordon. So it's like very much that sort of thing. I mean, it's it's the same thing that James Bond was, you know? Sort of a, a pop secret agent kind of figure. But this just came from a comic strip and a comic books rather than novels. This is really interesting. I just assumed that they had made up Secret Agent X-9 and they were kind of spoofing that genre. I did because too. It, it feels a little, the song feels tongue in cheek. Absolutely. But now I'm not so sure. Well, I think it is tongue-in-cheek. It just happens to be specifically tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, okay. So, Gabe, what song have you snuck in past the para- parachuted in to North Korea so that you can find the guy with the diamonds in his face and stop Halle Berry or whatever? I, Die Another Day is sort of blurred for me. Interesting. I thought maybe you were going to combine that into a current events reference as well. No, that was All Die Another Day, which is a mess of a film. Yeah, but Halle Berry is fine and doesn't do much in it. Bummer. Haven't seen it, as we've established. Um, The song I've chosen is, okay, bear with me, listeners. This is from the album titled Blowout Comb, released in 1994, by the hip-hop trio Diggable Planets. The title of the song is Agent 7 Creamy Spy Theme slash Dial 7 Axiom of Creamy Spies slash New York 21 Theme. first thing i want to establish is kind of the weirdness of the song title while we're talking about it is because there are actually kind of three separate songs but the first song the agent seven creamy spy theme and the last song new york 21 theme are only like 20 seconds long and they're like they sound like theme music to spy shows which seems very intentional and they're just tacked on to the end and then the core piece of the song is dial seven axiom of creamy spies which is slightly less confusing of a song title um it's, that song it's still a little confusing 
Yeah, definitely. There are parentheses still. Um, that song was independently released as one of the two singles off this record, which again is titled Blowout Comb. Andrew, are you familiar with Diggable Planets? Not at all. This is so not up your alley in terms of music listening. However, they are originally from Philadelphia. Okay, I'm back in. So Diggable Planets uh, was a hip-hop trio that formed kind of in the late 80s um, in Philly, um, consisting of Ishmael Butler, who was known as Butterfly, Mariana Vieira, who's known as Ladybug Mecca, and Craig Irving, known as Doodlebug. They released two records. Now, hold on. We need to back up. Two good rap names. And one bad one? Yeah. Yeah, Doodlebug isn't great. Um, the other two, the first two, Butterfly and Ladybug Mecca, went on to have other musical careers after this group disbanded. I don't believe Craig Irving did anything afterwards. So, It seemed like he was maybe not totally invested in it from the start. Anyway, this is their second record. Um, like six months after this record came out, the trio broke up. Ishmael Butler, who is Butterfly went on to uh, be half of the duo that comprises Shabazz Palaces, who you may oh. be more familiar with. Because they're still releasing music. In fact, they released an album like two weeks ago. My damages due to laying soul type sentences. I prepared time for ancestors for passage in the tactic front stop. Warfare for the projects I live. A series of niggas atop a target. Watch out for precepts with to like strike in an aerial form. We closing. Select territorial aim. Let's be out on an onslaught. We plague you. Can I get to even for the suckers? We light up. It's good looking out. We take it taken out. I die fighting. You subtract the devils that get smoke. So what would you say is the is the idea behind this composition? Because based on the the complexity of the name, it seems like there's there's some concept here. Yeah, that's a good point. I would love to just wildly speculate, but I did find something that Butler had said to Spin Magazine when the album came out in 94. Back when it was Spin Magazine, and not just <laughs> Spin.com. So he says, well, we say the cream always rises to the top. So we mean that as black people, we will rise to the top. And spies means that we see the wickedness, the devilment, that the establishment perpetuates on the masses. Um, I think it's important to remember some of the cultural context at the time that this was released. So this was written in the early 90s in Brooklyn, specifically in the Fort Greene neighborhood, which was, from my understanding, I think George Clinton maybe said it was like he considered it the like the a modern Harlem Renaissance, um, kind of like black mecca of the arts in New York City mm-hmm. um, in the 90s. But also there was, I mean, the early 90s was a, uh, and late 80s were a particularly bad time for the crack ed- epidemic in New York and obviously the, the AIDS epidemic. And, and so all of that coming together really affected a lot of the perspective on this record uh, and on this song. In general, on this record, the band sings, raps uh, quite a bit about the Black Panther Party and the Nation of Islam, and it's very, like, black nationalist, mm-hmm. which is uh, really interesting, and uh, and they were very open with their political message associated with this record. The creamy spice, the cream always rises up. We 
love the feel of this particular song yeah it's like it sounds like late night in a jazz club (laughs) definitely has that feel to it like the drums are so perfect um they're like sitting right in like like pulling back a little bit and really grooving there's quite a bit of sampling on this record uh as a group diggable plants did a lot of like what we would consider crate digging and uh grabbing samples and putting them together to the point that it can be difficult to tell what is sampled and what is not. Obviously, on this particular song, those horns, um, but there are sounds like in the main mix and in the main groove that are sampled as well. Um, so it feels like a precursor to trip hop. There is like that sneaky feel to the song, especially with the themes tacked on to either end. I like how it integrates like the spy idea alongside the in in like the music alongside the spy idea in the lyrics. Yeah, it's an interesting juxtaposition of like the the music is sort of like leaning into that sort of like spy music, like James Bond theme kind of idea. But the lyrics are talking about like the real world of intelligence agencies and their bad actions in the real world instead of just like James Bond defusing a bomb on Mars or whatever the fuck. I didn't watch Moonraker, so I don't I don't know what happens in it. <laughs> but probably they go to the moon and not Mars, huh? Yeah, probably. Would have been a good guess, but Mars Mars sounded good. It sounded good. Find the spot in this land of Uncle Sam. Focus my thoughts and be that true black man that I am. I stand in the face of oppression with my sisters and my brothers. No slipping and half stepping. The proposition is my representation. I wear Timberland, studying Timbuktu. Won't rest until they free, but the moment I boot. Now, can you feel it? Nothing can save you, but this is the season of our self savior. Like Shake Guevara, the Shummer and Gorilla sparks the revolution. Andrew, there was an enormous amount of good music released this week. So much good music this week. Uh, What did you select and why did you select it? The song that I chose is entitled Rose Potion by Joanna Warren. The dead walk behind wasn't on my initial list for stuff like uh, that I needed to listen to for the week but then I watched an episode of the Netflix show the midnight gospel which is a strange thing created by Pendleton Ward who's the creator of of Adventure Time and it's basically a podcast uh, an interview podcast with some Adventure Time like animation and sometimes they reference the like fantasy sci-fi bullshit that's happening in the visually, but it's more like a sort of this guy, Duncan Trussell, interviewing people about spirituality, meditation, new age philosophy, that sort of realm of things. 
there was a moment in this episode that I watched where uh, this one character suddenly like sang a song, but it was weird. And so I was, I watched the credits to pay attention to who sang it. And it was Joanna Warren. And I was like, that name sounds really familiar. And I realized that she had just put out an album that day that I was watching this, (laughs) this episode. Whoa. Um, So I was like, I guess I should listen to this album because that's, you know, I mean, I'm watching a show about sort of philosophy and accepting the messages of the universe and that sort of shit. So I was like, well, I should probably (laughs) listen to this album. So I listened to it and I liked a few songs from it. I didn't really vibe with a lot of it. But this is the first track on the album, Rose Potion, and I really, really enjoyed this. Would you call God? I call the mysteries of the universe. What difference does it really make after all? If we had another chance to do it right, I'd give it all I have. Just like I did before when you left me with nothing at all. So Joanna Warren is um, uh, an American. She's from Florida. You said Florida with such disdain. I know. Well, <laughs> I think that's fair. <laughs> she, uh, she's she been pretty prolific, although I was not familiar with her until uh, just recently. Uh, but this is her uh, fifth album under her name called Chaotic Good. It's very much it, now uh, in retrospect. It makes a lot of sense that she sang a little like cameo kind of thing on the midnight gospel because in addition to being a musician she also offers magical healing services sorry in addition to being a musician she also offers magical healing services okay uh uh-huh all right fine sure I mean, maybe I could have gathered that from the song and its lyrics, actually. But right, although I mean, the lyrics, uh, the lyrics now make a lot more sense. So the it's called Rose Potion, and she's ta- like, there's a line: "I'm drinking down a potion I decocted from the roses in my garden when my spirits told me they could feel my heart was hardening," which is poetic, and now I also realize is probably an actual thing that she did. Yeah. You know. Yeah. Andrew, we should talk a little bit more later about potential benefits of going to a magical healer. Okay, I'll remind you later to talk about that. Anyway, I want to read some things from her website. So her website has both her music and then also her healing business. She says, like, as a little kid, I knew who I was, a wild magical creature who delighted in the gifts of the earth and the mysteries of the universe, feasting on red clover and honeysuckle, grinding berries between stones to make potions. Thatching fairy huts with slabs of damp moss, talking to bugs, singing to birds, drawing channeled images of interdimensional angels, and happily passing long afternoons with my face pressed in the dirt, watching the golden light dance through the blades of grass. Um, And then she says the magic was conditioned out of me, replaced with corn syrup, plastic, and the Pledge of Allegiance. And it's sort of, you can sort of get what the rest of it is. And she offers healing services. So if you would like to, uh, you know, pay her 120 bucks for an hour of you meditating while she sends light your way that is available to you this shit is wild it's wild i know we don't normally do this on this podcast but i feel like if i'm gonna i think this song is really good i really enjoy it we're gonna get to the things that i like about it but i think it's important to say that you should not pay for a long distance reiki session in which you do something yourself and she 
sends you light from far away. You should not do that. That is a waste of your money. <sighs> wow. Uh, now, the song Rose Potion. Very cool. I love the way that she um, plays with the melody of this. And actually, I want to link up my theme pick of Modest Mouse to this pick, even though that may seem strange. Something that I like about both the song Secret Agent X9 and the song Rose Potion is that the respective songwriters have lyrics that they want to say all of, and they're not going to let anything get in the way of that. <laughs> so they will stretch out lines or stuff in words when they need to. To put, They're not going to sacrifice words for music. They're just going to make the words fit. So like, there's some very long lines at the ends of verses in this song like there's a she talks about and losing teeth which i love to wiggle so deliciously with my tongue that just like go it 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 could stop at like deliciously but she keeps going with with my tongue um and in the same way there's like a line near the end of secret agent x9 where it's like you think this guy is on a permanent vacation like he doesn't just turn that into a shorter version of that he puts in all those words because like no this is the line that's a fascinating similarity between the two artists. There are definitely a number of musicians and people I know that would say that that is poor songwriting. But I also see the appeal and the interest that comes from finishing out those lines and making them as long as you need or want them to be. I think in both cases, it's a differently executed but well-executed uh, stylistic choice in songwriting and th- I think that that's the thing that matters is execution of uh, your ideas more than like what actually the whether or not those that execution like jives with me is secondary to whether or not you've executed it well and I think both uh, Joanna Warren and Isaac Brock are able to do that um, I think this is a great song so that's good enough for me the darkness this has brought upon me hungers for the pain like when i was young and losing teeth which i loved to wiggle so deliciously with my tongue now i see you're not a- so magical healers magical healers gabe not not actually a good thing. Generally a bad thing. However, if you understand what the purpose is of a psychic, that they can't actually read your mind, but that they can offer help in a non-medical sense, psychics can be a good thing, I think. But Gabe, what if you fall in love with your psychic? Damn it! I was going to do it. <laughs> this is Psychic from Serpent with Feet off his new EP titled Apparition. My Serpent with Feet uh, is Josiah Wise. Um, 
He was raised in Baltimore to a fairly religious family. Uh, his dad owned a Christian bookstore, and his mom directed their church choir, I believe. So he grew up singing gospel um, in church. That progressed, and he ended up doing more classical stuff. And he ended up going to the University of the Arts in Philadelphia for vocal performance. So yet another Philly connection. He migrated from a more operatic style into, uh, well, I guess sort of neo-soul, R&B, um, but with, with those classical elements as Serpent with Feet. He released a full-length album in 2018 titled Soil, and this is his next bit of work. This song is hilarious and beautiful and heartfelt. Uh, I think it really captures a lot of emotions. Um, one of the points that he tries to bring across um, is that there is this uh, like intimacy that's pretty intense if you ever get like your palm read or your tarot read, uh, which seems ridiculous. And it is ridiculous. And I think if you know it, it's, it is ridiculous, but that doesn't mean it's not valuable in some way. And from that intimacy perhaps you will fall in love with your psychic as Josiah Wise does in this song. Yeah, I really love that. Um, this is something about Serpent with Feet is that he really moves so easily like between and within at the same time. Really beautiful poetry and this sort of grand like classical mythological realm and then also humor and like making fun of like the seriousness of that of both of those things but still fully being immersed in those things yeah he says heard the moons acting brand new does this mean i belong with you <laughs> are your lips too deep for kissing heard the moons acting brand new does this mean i belong with you I wanted to point out two specific things about the lyrics uh, beyond what we've just talked about, which is um, I love the way that he sings the word psychic. He sings it like he was trained classically in that he pronounces every consonant very crisply yeah and the other thing of note is that every single like lyrical set of lines comes in pairs in this song mm -hmm. he'll sing like two or three lines and then repeat them again every in in every case which i thought was a, an interesting construction he sees my Also, the production for the song um, is fairly understated, I think, which is good because it brings out Serpent with Feet's voice. But there is an electric piano line that serves as like a counter melody under the verse that is just glorious. It's like light and subtle and like fun and perfect.
maybe we should talk about genre for a second because you were trying to sort of say what his style is now, which is really hard to say. And I think that's something that we've run into before. And I think it's a flaw of sort of this. Okay, so uh, there's an idea about genre that it's sort of died out with the modern way of consuming music. That it's less about putting things into categories because you don't have to stick LPs or CDs or cassettes into literal boxes anymore for people to listen to music. Right, right. You know, you don't have to like, you're not physically dividing it. In the digital world, it can be like the way that Pandora works or Spotify works where you recognize elements in music and connect them with each other. So it's more like a web that you're following rather than a series of boxes. And what I think that has done, it's sort of a, like the, like the paradigm of, this, of these like divided genres is in some ways a self-fulfilling prophecy. Because if you are categorized as one genre, then you're put in there and that sort of becomes, like even if you do something that would be breaking out of the genre, that's just sort of becomes part of the genre because you are that genre. Sure. It's like there's no way to break out of that. But now that that's not really a thing, we don't have to sort of say like, no one is required to define what Serpent with Feet's music is. So it's sort of done away with that. And the things that you're left with are vestiges of uh, of a past that doesn't really apply and was never very good at categorizing stuff, especially never good at categorizing stuff by people who are not white people. So like the tendency is to, yeah. to when you have some incredible artist who happens to be a person of color is you're like, this great uh, R&B, which is not like, I mean, you don't, there's no vocabulary for it because for a very long time, the structure that was like categorizing these things saw all black music as like, hey, it's rap, it's R&B, it's like this, it's, ugh, the worst word, like, it's urban music yeah shout out to the grammys yeah that's just that's a dog whistle like it's what that is yeah there's all these incredible artists who there's all these incredible artists of color like serpent with feet like moses sumney who we talked about a lot on this podcast before who are sort of when you try to talk to them you have to sort of say like oh they defy genre and they do defy genre because genre is useless and it's a it's a sort of archaic way of separating people into different groups and not intelligently considering the effectiveness of those groups. You you start with the groups and then you try to stuff people into them and that doesn't work. It doesn't work like that. Sorry, this is this is the episode where I just have a lot of tirades. <laughs> no, I think this is an excellent point and it's well made and it's worth discussing. And even an even more like mainstream example of this recently is the weekend? Yeah. People had no idea what to what to call his music when he first started putting out records in like 2011, 2012. Um, and then eventually some of that self-fulfilling prophecy came into place and people were like, "Yeah, he's R&B, I guess." Yeah. And then R&B became the weekend sound. Now people who make stuff that sounds like that kind of fits into that genre even though uh, like that's not rhythm and blues. Yeah, like R and B is, is right? complete, that's the thing. It's like if you no one's making R and B now, 
Like R&B is not yeah. a thing, a genre that even exists now, really. But it's a thing that people use for black people making music that that they're not rapping on. Right. Um, something that we've tried to appreciate on this podcast is when people have their own words for their music, their own genre description. The idea of self-identification, I think, is a more interesting idea than stuffing people into these categories. Yeah. Has this large heart. He's never, never too far from you. My medium has this large heart. He's never, never too far from me. Andrew, you want to do some highlights of other albums that came out this week? Um, I was also into the album Invisible People by Chicano Batman, who has come up on this podcast before, although indirectly. One of our early episodes, the the one about lucid dreaming, uh, I brought a song by a band called Brain Story, who got their start, I think, from like they they're friends with the band Chicano Batman. We we mentioned them as like, hey, that's a great band name, which it is. Um, I was really into uh, a new album from Diet Sig titled Do You Wonder About Me? It's like pop punk. It's great. Um, it's really well done pop punk, I think, um, which is not a genre we've dipped into much on this podcast. Um, there was a cool uh, album from uh, Ben Lucas Boysen called Mirage, sort of a electronic kind of thing that I was very into liked liked a lot as as a full album um, rather than any one individual song but um, I would recommend checking that one out um, a new record from Damien Harado called what's new tomboy uh, which is like acoustic-y and like a really lovely voice that fit particularly well into um, my trip across Utah I think is where I listen to it. <laughs> there is a really, really excellent EP from the Norwegian duo Conradsen called Rodeo Number no. Five um, that I really loved and was almost picking anything. But uh, like the Ben Lucas Boysen album, I really liked it as a as a whole unit. Again, difficult to categorize music. Um, I saw a, a recommendation from the label Jag Jaguar, which is um, great indie label. But they said something that like Jenny Marie Sable, who is the vocalist for Conradson and sort of their sound in general is like Karen Dalton, if she had never smoked or drank and was also super into uh, Frank Ocean. (laughs) Uh, Oddly specific and also very good. (laughs) Yeah, I saw that review and was like, I'm going to check this out. (laughs) Yeah, cool. So that's all for our show this week. Um, you can give us a follow, as always, on Twitter at Fresh Pressed Pod, or check out all of the songs, or and check out all of the songs um, from this week's show and all previous shows in our Spotify playlist that is included in the show notes. We will be back with more Fresh Pressed and more new music and more old music on May 12th in exactly one week's time. Andrew? Um, Happy Cinco de Mayo. Happy Cinco de Mayo. Good point. For now, I'm Gabe. I'm Andrew. And you've been listening to Fresh Press. Fresh Press.